Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to On The Bench. This is your host, Brendan Sinone. A different format for our podcast today, but I think it's one that you guys are really going to enjoy. I have a special guest to help help me get through the bye week. He's one that you know uh, from your you know, following FSU football, following the NFL, and, uh, and even just any sort of football medium uh, that, you've, that you know of now. He's going to uh, be a name that you recognize, and he's been on the podcast before. That is former Florida State defensive back Bryant McFadden. Bryant, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. You know, Bryant's going to get into some of the ins and outs of the FSU-Miami rivalry since as this podcast is going to drop, FSU begins Miami prep on Friday. So it's technically Miami hate week. So Bryant's going to help us get into some of uh, the history of that rivalry uh, and also give us some insights into the program currently. Uh, but, but real quick, Bryant, do you want to tell the folks what you're, uh, what you're working on? You have a really cool podcast coming out and it drops next week. Uh, no question. No question. Yeah, I'm working on, well, I'm finalizing uh, my brand new podcast that I will be doing with my cousin, Patrick Peterson, uh, all pro corner with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we decided to collaborate together and just bring our football knowledge to the podcast world, along with, you know, our other interests that we're heavily involved in. Uh, the name of the podcast is, the name is All Things Covered. Uh, clearly, we both played corner. He's still playing, uh, you know, so we covered a lot of ground throughout our uh, football days, and he's currently still doing the same thing. But we're just we're not just covering football. You know, we're talking everything, you know, all sports. You know, Pat is a is a big time golfer. We both love basketball, uh, baseball, you know, entertainment. So we're just going to uh, cover all things that's that's, you know, big time news. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a huge opportunity that CBS has allowed us to uh, take advantage of. And our first episode will drop uh, nine twenty two, which is this Tuesday. We will drop a episode every Tuesday morning. And the first guest for our first episode is Tyron Matthew, you know, all pro Super Bowl winning safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. Also an LSU Tiger as well. Honey Badger. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So you are you already know we're going to get into that whole DBU yeah. uh, conversation. And I, I clearly I will be outnumbered on the <laughs> But we need all the no fans to chime in as well because uh, it's, it's going to be entertaining, it's going to be informative, and uh, you know it's going to be unfiltered as well. And we also will have a YouTube channel, so you won't just be able to hear us; you will also be able to see us as well. Yeah, you guys uh, help BMAC out a little bit. He's going to be out number two to one on that podcast with the DBU argument. Uh, notice there's no Florida players in there for some reason. They like to think they're DBU. We all know that's that's a fallacy. FSU, yeah. LSU, and Ohio State, I think, are the the ones who can argue that legitimately. But we know it's FSU, yeah. right? No question. I mean, you know, Florida is Florida. They do a lot of talking, but they don't actually have the numbers to back it up. Like 
the other universities that you mentioned. And I, and I, I forgot, you definitely can check us out on all platforms where podcasts are located, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and like I said, UT, uh, YouTube TV as well. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that and, uh, and good luck with it coming up, BMAC. So I, I had a question about the podcast because we were talking about this uh, about a week ago on our pod and Josh Newberg asked the question, if you could talk to one FSU player all time, so you can go, you know, BMAC, you can go to the time when you were playing, you can go to a current player, you can go to someone from the 90s and or 80s when they were on the come up. Uh, if you could have one guest on the podcast and have like a two hour long sit down, you just get to kind of explore all things FSU life with with one player. Uh, who would who would be like your dream guest? Uh, my dream guest would be uh, Farouk Ron Simmons. Oh, awesome, awesome, yeah, Ron Simmons. And and you know, growing up, I always loved football, but I've I, I was I've always been a, a wrestling fan as well. And mm. uh, watching him in his wrestling career, I didn't know at the time that he was a former Seminole. And when I found that out, find that out, uh, you know, my love for him just it just grew more and more because of how he handled himself in the match in the ring, and then watching some of his old highlights. Man, Ron Simmons was a grown <laughs> man. He was a grown man. He was that old, different, strong. You know what I mean? So seeing how he was able to set the standard for interior defense alignment for the university and still, you know, be able to have an outstanding career after football is something that I really, really love seeing individuals do. So I think Ron Simmons would be the name for me. And another reason why I go with Ron Simmons is because you don't really get an opportunity to see him do a lot of things media related. You know what I mean? And I think uh, he's one of the in my opinion, when you look at media attention, I think he's one of the one of the more underappreciated former nose of all time. Oh, that's a great choice. I didn't. I went with low hanging fruit. I just said Jameis Winston because I feel like we don't get a, we don't get a whole lot of like Jameis has become pretty guarded given everything that's happened throughout his career. And I thought two hours with him would be fun, but but uh, Simmons, Ron Simmons, would be a, a really good one too. I like it. So uh, maybe. Maybe you work on that. Who knows? Maybe that'll be something that, that happens down the road for you guys. Um, no question. So, so here's as we enter Miami Hate Week. Uh, you are a South Florida native, so I, I wanted to get your thoughts. Florida or Miami? In your mind, who's the rival that you uh, detest the most? Who, who, who's the biggest rival in your mind for Florida State? The biggest rival between those two schools, and the rival that I hate the most is Florida. All right. I how come? I, I I I don't like nothing Florida related. Now, granted, listeners, I don't like anything Miami related as well. <laughs> but when it comes to Miami, with me being a South Florida kid, there is a, a a piece of respect that I have for the players that played there for the university because Miami was in my top five. It actually came down to Miami and Florida State, so I had a look a little bit of like uh, liking to the university. Florida, I didn't even take a trip to Florida. I didn't even consider Florida. Me being a Florida kid, you know, I was one of the top recruits in the country, uh, the best cornerback in the country. So clearly Florida, Steve Spurrier, who was the head coach at that time, was knocking on my door. And I just said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And going to Florida State, uh, definitely the hate for Florida intensified. The same can be said for Miami. But yeah, it's Florida for me because I, I don't respect anything Florida related. I respect Miami a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a mutual respect between both universities when you talk about Miami and Florida State. If you ask any former King, right, they will say, yeah, we, we respect you boys. You know what I mean? It, it is a mutual respect because we, we always know when we play against you guys, it's a four-quarter ball game. It's going to be a physical, you know, uh, uh, 
knockout type of ball game. When we play Florida, we don't like anything Florida related. You know what I mean? So for me, it's the, it's the University of Florida. Uh, I can't stand, I don't like, and I hate. All right. I like it. I like it. I, w- I was thinking, I, I honestly thought you were going to say Miami just because of the location there, but that makes sense given that you probably had more ties to knowing guys on, on the Miami team as well. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. What about like interactions on, on Twitter? I know you're on, on the Twitter. Uh, I find that Miami fans to me seem to get in my mentions more than even the Florida fans. It, it annoys me because at least Florida has something that they can you know, brag about in the past decade or so of Miami it's just, yeah. it's just weird. Uh, so, so from a fan base perspective, when, when you're tweeting about FSU and you hear some other fans uh, talking a little trash, is it FSU or Florida or Miami that's, uh, that's more annoying to you? No. Now, when you talk about the fan base, no mm-hmm. question, it's the Hurricane fan base. All right, been, my man. We've been back. They've been saying we've been back for the last decade or so. We're always <laughs> back. The U is back. The U is back. So you, you're, now you're admitting that you left. That's what you're basically admitting. But you're not back. They say that every year. Yes. So to, to answer that question, which fan base is more annoying is the University of Miami. Their fan base is extremely annoying. They're always a championship contender. They're always a championship caliber team year in and year out. And it's fool's goal. You know what I mean? It's fool's goal. And like you said, when you talk about championship pedigree, we talk about, you know, lifting that trophy up. Florida has done it more recently than Miami. You know what I mean? So that that plays a big time part. And I mean, heck, Miami, they haven't won the ACC since coming into the ACC. You know what I mean? So talking about them being back and this and that. No, nah, that's fool gold, fool's gold. But their fan base is more annoying than Florida fan base. I remember I think it was my second year covering FSU back in 2014. And FSU went down to Miami. Brad Kaya was the quarterback. That was the Jalen Ramsey game. Maybe the best individual game from a defensive back I've ever seen. He just, he dominated that, but Brad kind of started off strong and then kind of started faltering a little bit. And I remember I just tweeted out like Brad, I think I said, Brad Kaya is looking like a true freshman quarterback. BMAC, if, if you would have thought that I would have said he was the worst quarterback ever, the way they got after it, they always think they have a franchise quarterback. And I don't know if they've, they've, <laughs> they've never had one since I've been covering uh, college athletics, but have you followed Derek King? Like, are you familiar with his game? And what are your thoughts on him? If you've got a chance to watch him, so far, he may be the real deal in terms of athleticism. He's he's unique. Uh, Derek King, following collegiate football, following him at Houston, uh, he's clearly the best athlete that Miami has had at the quarterback position probably since Kenny Kelly. And, you know, I'm going back in the early 2000s when Kenny Kelly was there. Um, but I think he's more athletic. Um, and mm-hmm. what people don't know is that he almost went to Florida State when he made it, made it known that he was going to transfer. Uh, there was some serious rumors about Derek King coming to Florida state for this upcoming season. Now I don't know exactly what happened when we, you know, changed the coaching staff, how that, you know, influenced him to go elsewhere. But that was a little, that was a big time rumor about Derek King coming to Florida state, but yeah, athleticism he has. Um, he also is a, a pretty good thrower of the football, but his strongest trait is making people miss being able to make things happen with his leg um, and and he provides a different element for their offense and talking about the inability to have a real good above average quarterback that's something that Miami has been lacking for quite some time mm-hmm. um, I talked about the last big time athlete at the quarterback position was Kenny Kelly uh, but think about this the last time Miami's had Stability at the quarterback position with a consistent guy 
probably would be Ken Dorsey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you go back to the Brock Berlin days, Brock wasn't really lighting people on fire. And it's not like Ken Dorsey was, but Ken Dorsey was very, very smart with the football. And he made timely, timely plays for the offense. Now, granted, he was surrounded by an all-star cast of offensive weapons, but he didn't blow the game for them. And he made timely plays. And outside of Ken Dorsey, you know, you had, there's a long list of quarterbacks that have came through that university that has started, but they haven't been extremely consistent. So I probably would say, you know, Ken Dorsey has probably was the last, you know, decent, consistent quarterback. And I think De'Ara King has an opportunity to get in that same conversation. We're going about back about 20 years with, with Ken Dorsey, which is crazy when you, when you think about that. So, so BMAC, I want to get your thoughts on the rivalry here with FSU and Miami, like your experiences. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but you had unfortunate like timing where I, you never got to beat Miami, correct? Uh, no. FSU? No, and and that's something that I I, I clearly hate. And <laughs> talking to Miami fans and talking to some some friends that I had have that that were on the teams that I played against, they talk so much noise. But at least three of those losses came on behalf of a field goal. Mm-hmm. And 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 two we clearly had in our hands and didn't finish the drill. And my hats off to those guys because they found a way to win and we didn't. You know, and they were the better team on those given Saturdays. But, you know, it was always a bloodbath. It was a fight. But unfortunately, the little things prevented us from, you know, winning those ball games. And I remember um, watching the Florida State Miami, I think it was 2002 game when Greg Jones went crazy. And just scenes how their defensive players were talking about Greg Jones and our offense. And just clearly they were showing respect without trying to show respect, but they were just being honest and and they knew what was coming. They just couldn't stop it. But like I said, it was a field goal that prevented us from winning that ball game that Saturday as well. You mentioned there were a handful of, of games in that series when you were there that were one score games. I think almost every single one of them was, was a one score game. If I remember correctly, what was like the most agonizing or gut wrenching moment from that series for you that you look back at and be like, man, we, we almost, almost had it. Just the, just that feeling of losing yeah. by a field goal. And the thing about that rivalry, the week of, that was always a big topic. You know, wide right, wide left. And just, it just, as a defensive player, you got tired of getting asked those questions about things that happened in the past. You know what I mean? So just that whole process, getting ready for the ball game on Saturday and having to discuss the wide right, wide left, you know, situations. And then being a part of multiple wide rights or wide lefts, you know what I mean? So that was so annoying. And and and, and then going through it was definitely frustrating. And coming back to Tallahassee and, and dealing with the fans there and feeling like you were a big, we were, we, we were a disappointment to the fan base and to the university. Anytime I lost to Miami, it literally took me about two weeks to get over that. About, <laughs> literally about two weeks. It's amazing. You I mean you've gone on, you had an incredibly successful NFL career. You won a Super Bowl and it still bothers you decades later. That's that's amazing. It's still annoying because, you know, for me and fans probably feel the same way, but for players it's it's different. You know, it's for real like I don't like Miami. Like I don't like them. I respect them and I I have a lot of friends that played for the university, but I don't like them as a ball club, you know what I mean? And even going 
to the NFL, winning Super Bowls and having success and being a part of iconic teams, I still feel some type of way when I look back at a game against Miami or think about how we lost to Miami. It definitely puts me in a shell. All right, let's transition to to this current FSU team because these players are – there's there's seniors on this team that have lost three games in a row and that are on je- at jeopardy of of finishing their collegiate careers without beating Miami. How do you think this game matches up for FSU coming up next week? You mentioned De'Ara Keene. I know you watched a little bit of at least a little bit of FSU Georgia Tech. Uh, I guess I have some concerns about the defense underperforming as we saw against Georgia Tech and what that's going to look like against a more experienced quarterback than Jeff Sims and De'Ara Keene. What are your thoughts on how FSU matches up going down to Miami next week? I mean, when you talk about the talent, yes, we have talent. They have talent. I think the biggest concerns are the concerns that I have. Let's start with the defense against Derrick King, right? Jeff Sims is an athlete. He's a pretty – I think he has the opportunity to be a real good quarterback. Mm-hmm. But he he lacks the experience. And we saw freshman mistakes against Florida State that the defense capitalized on when they were kind of standing on their heels, the costly interceptions that we saw from Jeff Sims. De'Aaron King might not make the same mistakes because he's an experienced guy. And De'Aaron King is not as big as Jeff Sims, but he's just as uh, athletic and he's elusive and he's quick. You know what I mean? So he can make things happen in the pocket. So for me, I wasn't really impressed with what I saw from the defensive line, you know, for a unit that has three or four potential pro players on that front. I really thought they would dominate. Yeah in the trenches against Georgia Tech. And I didn't see that. You know what I mean? So I would love to see our defensive line play like the NFL players that many believe they are. And it's going to be imperative for them to do that because you're playing against an athletic quarterback that can run. And we didn't see his best throwing effort against UAB. But if you go back in time and look at some of his uh, uh, Houston clips, he can throw the football. And then when you look at what they provided against UAB, um, uh, Cameron ha- Harris had a real big time ball game against UAB. I think he had over 130 yards or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So finding a way to dominate in the trenches would be huge for our defense because it would, it, it would affect in a good way, the second level guys and the third level guys. And then I think De'Ara King ran for about 80 yards as well. So those two guys combined for over 200 yards on the ground, right? So stopping the ground attack, is important because now you you make them become one dimensional mm-hmm. and they didn't throw the ball well. I'm not saying that Derek, Derek King can't, but he did not throw the ball well. And knowing that they didn't have a full spring, it was a very, very, you know, abnormal off season. I don't think his throwing is in rhythm like it will be throughout October and November, but luckily for Miami, they have a game against Louisville. So they get an opportunity to really get the offense going better than what it did against uh, a UAB. So I, I, th- that's something that I would like to monitor our defensive line because I think going into this season, when people were given their rankings of position groups, especially in the ACC, the consensus had Florida State number one when it came to D-line play. And did they perform that way against Georgia Tech? No. We know they have the talent, but did they perform that way? No. And I think they will get better because they have to get better for our defense to be successful. It starts and starts with the defensive line. Offensively, me personally, I was, I was, you know what, I was really, I was satisfied. I was satisfied with the offensive line play until the injuries right. happened. And then we saw 
a difference in production when the injuries happen. You lost your center. You lost your, I think it was left tackle. So clearly you're going to see a drop off. But when those guys were healthy, they played pretty good football. I would love to see us run the ball better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really thought, you know, Corbin coming from Texas A&M would have a huge impact. I didn't see the impact that I thought I would see. If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Travis led us in rushing. Yep. yep. Travis and Webb, you know what I mean? So we didn't really do anything at the line of scrimmage that could generate positive yards running the football. And then not being able to run the football made us get into a throwing affair where James Blackman threw for over 40 times. Um, that's not ideal for me personally, because playing against a team like Georgia Tech, where we have on paper more talent, better talent, especially on the offensive line, I thought we would be able to generate p- positive things running the football. We weren't able to do that. For me, James Blackman uh, wasn't his best effort. Um, he did some good things well. He didn't do some good things well, but he, I don't like if we have to rely on his arm to just to win a ball game. Right. Um, and that's something that we kind of reverted to. We had to go to in the fourth quarter. Uh, throwing throwing wise, I, I didn't see anything from guys who I thought I would see. Um, Terry is a pro like talent. I think he will have an opportunity to play on Sundays. Um, Thompson, talented player. Those two guys got to step up. Yeah, I think those two guys got to be the lead dog at the wide receiver uh, uh, group, and they had the talent. We just didn't see it. Um, I would love to see Helton get more involved as well. I love the shiftiness that he has. Uh, he's a he's a real quick guy. He can make people miss. That first drive, that touchdown, I thought he was going to be a guy that we would see throughout the throughout three quarters, and we didn't really see a lot of him in the second half, but he needs to get more involved. And another guy, too, McDonald. Mm-hmm. I think McDonald has an opportunity to be a huge playmaker for our offense uh, tight end, at the tight end spot. And the last time we had consistency at that spot was Nick O'Leary. And, you know, Nick has been going for some time now. So all in all, you know, for me personally, I think Miami and Florida State that ball game has always been one in the trenches. Like offensive line play, D-line play. The unit that usually performs the best in the trenches usually win that ball game. If you go back to last year, they dominated us in the trenches, especially their D-line against our O-line. Right. And I think they had like seven or eight sacks against us last year, if I'm not mistaken. But they dominated in the trenches. B, and look at our defense aligned against their O-line. You know what I mean? Their O-line had some did some pretty good things against us in the trenches. So – that's something that I'm going to watch the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball, because recent history tells us along with the team that plays smart football, the team that plays smart football and the team that dominates in the trenches usually wins this ball game. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all in one e commerce platform to their in person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 15% better on average compared to other. Other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there. 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Bryant, to your point about dominating in the trenches and the expectations with Florida State's defensive line entering the year. So the Georgia Tech game, I saw someone from ESPN, uh, I think it was David Hale, buddy of the podcast, uh, tweeted this out today. FSU got pressure on Jeff Sims, a freshman quarterback, on just 11% of his dropbacks. Uh, Only 11%? 11% of the time he was pressured. And and he was able to scramble successfully six times. So when he was pressured, he was able to convert that into, into scramble six times. Is that, and when you watch the game, are you thinking to yourself that is it just those defensive linemen need to elevate their play? Was it scheme? I know some people were frustrated there wasn't more pressure and blitzing when they couldn't get home with four. I guess as you're watching that game and digesting it, and obviously seeing the defensive line not living up to the the hype and the potential that it has, uh, who's that fall on to to really get those guys to elevate the play? Coaching themselves or a little bit of both? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's both. Because coaches got to, you know, emphasize what they would like for you to do. And as a player, you got to go out and do it. But me personally, Brandon, and I know the listeners might feel the same way I, I felt watching the game Saturday. But me personally, when I was watching the game, I didn't see our D lineman firing off the football. And I, I thought about it. And I'm like, I wonder, is that a, a, a type of, you know, scheme that they're associating with their defense because mm-hmm. of the athletic quarterback they were going against. Because I know there are a lot of defenses, collegiate defenses, whenever they're playing against an athletic quarterback, they're not taught, the defensive line that is, they're not taught to fire off the ball. They're taught to more read and react because you don't want to fire off and allow running lanes for the quarterback. Now, I don't know exactly what the game plan was or the thought process was for our defensive line, but when I watched the game, especially in the first, you know, first few series of the ball game in the first half, I didn't really see our guys coming off the ball. Yeah. And one thing that I've always known at Florida State, especially when I was there, first man off the football, usually the first man make a play. <laughs> you know what I mean? These guys, you know, when I play with the guys I played with, Bunkley, Doggett, Johnson, Travis Johnson, Cam Wimbley, you know, Eric Moore, all these guys, they, they, they fire off the ball. You know, first man off the ball, first man there to make a play. And I didn't really see those guys firing off the ball for four consistent quarters like I thought I would would see. And maybe it had a lot to do with who the quarterback was and what he could do running the football. I don't know. It, it seemed to me, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that not just the defensive line, Bryant, but the entire FSU roster, for the most part, aside from one or two guys, just didn't look explosive in general. Looked And, and Georgia Tech got faster as the game went on. So I don't know if this is a confidence deal, uh, uh, knowing what you're doing assignment-wise in a brand new scheme for FSU. But I was amazed at, just how unathletic, like even someone like Tamori and Terry, just no one looked as twitchy or as explosive as they did even a year ago. That that stood out to me. Did you notice that at all? Yeah, I noticed that. And I think it had a lot to do with the first game. 
um, you know, not knowing exactly, or I didn't expect to see players be in the best shape as possible, but no question you would like for the players to match the intensity that the opposing team is given. And that's the only way you can be competitive. You have to match what they're bringing to the table. And I think for me, what I would love to see happen, I think will happen through time, you know, the mentality of the players, because think about this, Brandon, over the last few years, the mentality of our players have pretty much been stagnant. And what I mean when I say that, we've lost a lot of ball games over the last two years. And when I was at Florida State and what made me go to Florida State was seeing how mentally tough the team was, being able to go through adversity and never feel like the game is over. And what we saw Saturday was similar to what we saw last year. When the momentum started to change, the fight started to let up. Mm. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to change overnight. And, and, I, and I had a, a few conversations with a few individuals that are love Florida State. And I, and I told them, and I, and I did a podcast leading up to the ball game. And I said, this Georgia Tech game is a tricky ball game because you got to remember, we didn't have a full spring. And for the people that say, well, most colleges didn't have a full spring, you're right. Most colleges didn't have a full spring, but for us, we didn't have a full spring and we have a whole new staff that we have to get installed. Like mm-hmm. the coaches didn't understand some of the personnel, then they weren't familiar with the personnel and vice versa with the players. So it's going to take time for these coaches and these players to learn and understand each other. So for us, summer camp was like spring football. And then it's like having spring football and then going straight from spring football to play a full game. That's exactly what Florida State had to endure, along with other universities that had to implement a whole new OC, DC, new staff, the whole nine. So this ball game, for me, it felt like a trap ball game because we were going against a team that had a second-year coach in place in Jeff Collins, who I really love. I think he's a high-energy coach. I think he's going to do some good things at Florida State, along with a few transfers and a guy who has an opportunity to be a real good player at the quarterback position. Georgia Tech won nine, three games last year, Brandon. But they won three games because they had no quarterback. Right. It's, it's no surprise to see a true freshman who played high school last year jump right in to the starting lineup with an abo, uh, abnormal offseason and start. You don't usually see that, right? But that's what we saw with Georgia Tech because they, they needed quarterback help. But they had everything else in place. You know what I mean? So for me, it's the, our culture has to change. That whole that losing feel and not fighting through adversity has to change and it will, but it's just not going to happen overnight. That was my column after the game was it felt like deja vu it was a new coach, kind of the same deal where you could feel the team tightening up and, and getting losing confidence, leaking confidence as the game went on. You could even like the fan base felt it. You could see the players on the sideline. And I had one last question for you, BMAC with that in mind, you talk about culture. I know you spoke highly of Mike Norvell, on the 24-7 sports uh, social distance uh, deal that we had you on a, a, about a week, maybe two weeks ago at this point. Uh, after one game, I know some fans are start wondering, oh boy, is, is this the wrong hire? Here we go again. I know they have some, some PTSD almost from the Willie Taggart hire. Uh, what would you say to those people? Is, is one game too much to start overreacting? Like how, how much of a job does Mike Norvell have ahead of him in terms of overhauling this culture at FSU? Uh, it's a big job. Anytime you're a new coach and you jump into a situation where the personnel is not your first choice, it's going to take time because, you know, a lot of players might not buy into what you're selling. 
right? So for those players that are not buying into what you're selling, you gotta you gotta try to get them to buy in. And also too, you gotta change the previous staff culture. You gotta get that away from there. Luckily for me, I never had to go through a head coaching change. You know what I'm saying? I never had to go through what a lot of these players have gone through, you know, over the last few years. So I know I can imagine it's very, very difficult, but it is also difficult for the staff as well. And in this season, like I said, we didn't have a full spring. So the first time that this staff was able to really get on the, the get on the grass consistently and see what they have at every position was throughout the summertime. That was throughout the summertime. So for Florida State fans, what we have to understand, yes, the standard is the standard. We will always have our high expectations, but we we've been spoiled because we've always been a championship caliber program. But over the last few years, we have nowhere been we have we haven't been close to being a championship program. So for us to get back to that level, it's not going to happen overnight. And unfortunately, any given game, we could lose. That's just how college football is right now, especially in the ACC. And until we get back to being that dominating, consistent presence, that's that could happen. Now, should it happen? No, because I still believe in the talent that we have. But Recent history tells us we haven't seen that consistent dominating stride that we've seen in years past for, for, for me not, to not say that, honestly. And, and that's why I felt like the, the schedule makers didn't do us any, any favors by scheduling Georgia Tech the first game. Now, if we could have got like Jacksonville State or somewhere like that the first game, a good tune-up game, warm-up game, then okay, my expectation would have been a little higher. But against Georgia Tech, I didn't know exactly – what we would see from our ball club because they didn't have the time to be able to get comfortable within the system on both sides of the football. So for the fans, just be patient, just be patient. I mean, what we saw the last two years clearly I think has put a bad taste in our mouth. And we think that it's going to look totally different instantly. It's not going to happen. It's going to take time. But what I can say is this, and for the listeners agree with me or not, we lost the ball game, but we did see improvements in certain areas. The areas that I saw improvement in was the offensive line play. They wasn't piss poor. They played better. Now, didn't play as well when, the, when we lost our center and the tackle, but for four quarter, throughout the entire ball game, it was an improvement from what we've seen in years past, right? Agree or disagree. Secondly, special teams was much better. Special teams basically kept us in that ball game. The, the, the block field goals, multiple block field goals. I don't know the last time we've had multiple block kicks in one ball game, but we saw that in Norvell's first ball game. Second, uh, and third for me, I didn't, the team didn't look dis, dysfunctional out there. They didn't look like they didn't know what they were doing, like unorganized. Mm-hmm. I remember we played against Florida a few years ago in Doak. I think it was last year, the year before last. Remember, we had 10 or nine players on the football field, consistent plays. Like, Crazy penalties. And also, too, another thing, penalties. We didn't shoot ourselves in the foot like we've seen in year past. So we didn't win the ball game, fans, but we did see improvements in certain areas. The offensive line, and the offensive line has been a concern over the last four or five years, if I'm not mistaken. But they did play better. I think the consensus would say that. Special teams, that's probably, probably the best special teams performance I've seen in Florida State since probably the, Bob, the Bobby Bowden era. One ball game, in my opinion. And the mistakes, we didn't see a lot of dumb 
penalties like we've seen in years past. So that is a positive, but we still have a long way to go. But just give it some time, fans. Please, you got to give it some time because I can just imagine how how difficult it is for, for staffs to jump into a news role this particular season with everything that has been going on with the pandemic. And voila, people are expecting for a big time difference in what they've seen in years past. With that in mind, uh, I've, I'm really curious to see what FSU does with the bye week and then going into Miami because you now have that first game under you to see this coaching staff is supposed to be a really buttoned up coaching staff, like what they're able to do with self-evaluation, not saying it all turns around. Like you said, Bryant, patience is a must, but they will have a little bit of time now to actually see and do some self-evaluation, see what they're about. And then we get to see what kind of changes and adjustments they make. And if there's quantifiable growth. So, all right, Bryant, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been fun. You helped us get through the, uh, the slow time of the bye week much appreciated. I want to, uh, to again remind our listeners to check out the All Things Covered podcast with BMAC and his, uh, his cousin Patrick Peterson. Those are uh, two, of the, two of the better uh, product prospects ever come out of South Florida to go ahead and do it in the NFL. And, uh, and they're going to have the Honey Badger on as well with them on Tuesday. So go ahead and check that out. BMAC, thanks for joining on the bench, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for having me anytime. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.